The Word of God, can we trust it? Is it reliable? We've had several sessions looking at just a little bit of the evidence uh, for the historical accuracy and truthfulness of the New Testament. In this session, let's go a step further. Now, in this session, you're going to have to be very alert or you will miss both the arguments that I present about the lives of the apostles. Especially one of them will be so different than probably the way you're accustomed to thinking about them that you can miss the point if you're not really tuned in. Here were 12 men. 11 of the 12 or 10 of the 12 died martyrs' deaths. These were, most of them, writers of the New Testament or contributors to the New Testament. These are the men and women who were directly mentored by Jesus. They walked with him, they lived with him, they ate with him, they studied with him, both before and after the resurrection. And 11, 10 or 11 of these 12 men not only died martyrs' death or died in exile for one thing, an empty tomb and the appearances of a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, that in their own words they said, that for 40 days after the resurrection, they walked with him and lived with him and studied with him. In other words, they died martyrs' deaths or in exile for the conviction that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead on the third day, and they were willing to die for that. Now, there's usually two accusations that I hear when I make that statement. The first is this. Well, Josh, a lot of people have died for a lie. And you know that's true? A lot of people have died for a lie. You can go through history and see how people have become martyrs or killed themselves in suicide for a lie. A lot of people have died for a lie. But when it comes to the New Testament, here is the problem. If the resurrection was a lie, if the resurrection did not happen, then here were 12 men who knew that it didn't happen. Now remember, they said in their own words that for 40 days they lived with Christ and that he appeared to 500 people at one time after he was crucified and buried. If that was not true, then these 12 men had to know it wasn't true. And here's the catch. Yes, a lot of people have died for a lie, but they thought it was the truth. If the resurrection was a lie, then here are 12 men who not only died for a lie, but they knew it was a lie. I would challenge you to find 12 other men in history or women who not only died for a lie, but they knew it was a lie. They went through the test of truth to determine their veracity. They signed their testimony in blood. They went through death to confirm that it was not a lie. Andre Cole, probably you have not heard that name. That's his stage name. His real name is Bob Gertler. Many people believe that Andre Cole is the greatest illusionist or magician alive today. 
He has created, in one mind, created and sold over 2,000 illusion, illusions or magical effects. He is usually referred to by magicians all over the world as the magician's magician. He is the only man who can boast that he has never, ever been fooled by another illusionist. Now, what a claim that here are all these people trying to deceive people, and Andre Cole is the only one that can boast he has never, ever been deceived by another illusionist or magician. He was a student at the University of California in Los Angeles in my country. He was studying uh, psychiatry, psychology and philosophy. A friend of mine, Elmer Lappin, at another university challenged Andre Cole as the world's leading illusionist. Many of the illusionists that you see in the world today, Andre Cole developed those, those illusions and magical tricks for them. The disappearing of the 747, the Statue of Liberty, all came from the mind and the skills of Andre Cole. And so this friend of mine, Elmer Lappin, challenged Andre Cole to take his expertise as the world's greatest illusionist, a man who can boast he has never ever been fooled by another illusionist, and to apply his skills to the miracles of Jesus to explain them away. Well, Andre thought, well, that ought to be easy, so he accepted the challenge. And I remember I was living in Canada, and he came up, and we spent several days together, and he shared with me his testimony of what brought him to Christ. He set out, and he could explain away, using modern illusion and magical effects, some of the miracles of Christ. But he said, Josh, many of them I couldn't. But he said the hardest one was the resurrection. And he made this statement. He said, Josh, in using all modern illusionary effects and magic, there is no way that Jesus could have deceived his apostles with the resurrection. He said, if the resurrection did not happen, the apostles had to know it. They could not have been deceived. You see, most illusions are done inside so you can control the environment. Almost all of Jesus' miracles were done outside where you cannot control the environment. And then he made this statement. He said, Josh, with many of the modern illusions or magical effects, it'll take an entire truckload of equipment just to do one illusion. He said they never had any of that in the New Testament times. And it brought Andre Cole to Christ. And I think it's very significant as a man who can boast he had never been fooled by another illusionist to say that if the resurrection did not happen, the apostles had to know it. Yes, a lot of people have died for a lie, but they thought it was the truth. And if the resurrection did not happen, the apostles had to know it. Know it. Therefore, you would have to say that these 12 men not only died for a lie, but they knew it was a lie. They went through the test of death to determine their veracity. And I believe that I can trust them. In fact, if I cannot trust them, then I cannot trust anyone historically. Now there's a second argument 
that will often come out of the statement that here were 12 men, 10 or 11 of the 12 died martyrs' deaths, and the others died in exile. The accusation would be this. Well, come on. A lot of people have died for a great cause. And do you know? That is true. A lot of people have died for a great cause. People have burned themselves alive, killed themselves, committed suicide over great causes down through history. But you can't apply that to the apostles and to the writers in the New Testament. Here were men that their great cause died on the cross. You say, now, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is this. With the apostles, the followers of Jesus, yes, a lot of people would die for a great cause, but their great cause died on the cross. You say, explain that. Well, let me give a very brief history lesson to appreciate uh, the significance of the apostles' deaths. Let's go back several hundred years before Christ. The Jewish leaders taught all the Jewish people that there would be two messiahs who would come. One would be the suffering messiah, the son of Joseph. The other would be the reigning political messiah who would reign the world from Jerusalem, the son of David. Now, how did they get that conclusion? Well, as you read the Old Testament, you'll find that one verse will talk about a reigning political Messiah. The next verse will talk about a suffering Messiah. The next chapter will talk about a reigning Messiah. The next chapter will talk about a suffering Messiah. So they said there must be two Messiahs coming once each. This is why people couldn't understand Jesus. Jesus was so contrary to his times. Why? When Jesus came onto the scene, he said, wait a minute. There's not two messiahs coming once each. There's one messiah coming twice. That's why they couldn't understand Christ. He said, I'm coming first to suffer, to be crucified and buried. Then I'm coming back again to reign politically. Well, when the Roman legions conquered Israel, conquered uh, Palestine and Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders had a hard time keeping the allegiance of the crowds, of the Jewish crowds. So they started to say, look, we can't teach that the Messiah when he comes is going to be a suffering Messiah because that won't hold the allegiance of the people. So this is what they started to teach. They said, look, we as Israel, we are the suffering Messiah. We are the fulfillment of Isaiah 52 and 53. We have suffered so much. We have been so persecuted that we have paid the price of the sins of the world. We are the suffering Messiah. So in order to hold the allegiance of the people, they started to teach that when the Messiah comes, he will be the reigning political Messiah. And he will bring his troop carriers down all the mountains and all of his bombs and planes and tanks, and he'll throw the Romans out and rule the world from Israel. And they believed in teaching that they would hold the allegiance of the Jewish people. Dr. Uh, Joseph Klosner, a Jewish scholar, made this statement. He said, the Messiah became more and more not only the preeminent political ruler, but also a man of preeminent moral qualities. He switched from being a suffering Messiah to a preeminent political ruler as a Messiah when he would come. 
And the Jewish professor, Dr. Jacob Gartenhus, says that the Jews awaited the Messiah, this is at the time of Christ, as the one who would deliver them from Roman oppression. Can you see how that would help them to control the Jewish people? He said the temple with its sacrifice service was intact because the Romans did not interfere with the Jewish affairs. And the Messianic hope became basically for a national liberation, for a redeemer of a country that was being oppressed. And then the Jewish Encyclopedia points out that the Jews, meaning at the time of Christ, yearned for the promised deliverer of the house of David, who would free them from the yoke of the hated foreign uh, usurper, usurper and would put an end to the impious world and the rule and would establish his own reign of peace and justice in Israel. At the time of Jesus, the entire Jewish populace awaited the coming reigning political Messiah. This is one of the conflicts ahead with Jesus. They couldn't understand Jesus when he would say, I have got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified and buried. They couldn't understand that. You see, Jesus was probably the most unlike person of his times. What he taught and said was so contrary to what had been taught among the Jewish people. And look at the conversation of the disciples and their friends. For example, Jesus, is it now that you're going to set up your kingdom? Were they thinking of a suffering Messiah? No. They were thinking of a reigning political Messiah that would come and throw the hated Roman uh, conquerors out of their country. And then, listen to this conversation. Jesus, is it now you're going to set up your kingdom? Jesus, can we reign at your right hand? Were they thinking of a suffering Messiah? No. They were thinking of a reigning political Messiah, that Jesus was going to come down off that cross, he was going to throw the Romans out, and he was going to rule the world from Israel. And you see, the apostles thought they were really in on a good thing. But all of a sudden, their great cause said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. No, Lord, don't go there. They'll kill you. You don't understand. I've got to be crucified. And I'm going to be buried, but raised again the third day. Do you see how this will help you to understand why the followers of Christ could not comprehend the resurrection? They could not comprehend that the Messiah could ever die. That's why when Jesus constantly taught about his death, they couldn't grasp what he was saying. But something happened. He went to Jerusalem. He was crucified and buried. And then it said that his followers went and hid themselves in their own homes. Why? They were living in fear. They were disillusioned. They were discouraged. Here they had put so much hope into Jesus as a Messiah, and he went and got crucified. But something happened historically. Something happened a matter of days and several weeks that took this little band of, of people who were, were afraid that went and hid themselves in their own homes and turned them into a band of spiritual revolutionaries that went out and not only turned the world upside down, 10 to 11 of the 12 died martyrs' death, and John died in exile for one thing, 
an empty tomb and the appearances of a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, a lot of people have died for a great cause, but their great cause died on the cross. And this is what I struggle with. What could have taken those apostles, those disciples, who were, had everything that they believed shattered when Christ was crucified, and they went and hid themselves in their own homes? What could have taken that small band of people and turned their lives upside down where they became martyrs? I'll tell you this. If they had not lived and walked with Jesus Christ after the resurrection, you never would have had the church. It would never have existed. The only thing that I can conclude that could have changed their lives is that on the third day, he was raised from the dead. In my country, one of the greatest attorneys, one of the greatest legal minds ever, was a man by the name of Dr. Simon Greenleaf. Maybe you've heard of Harvard University. He actually put Harvard Law School on the map. He was one of the greatest legal minds in the history of America. He wrote the three volumes on the laws of legal evidence that were used in the courts to evaluate the legitimacy of evidence presented in a court. He made this statement as he examined the lives of the apostles and Dr. Simon Greenleaf ended up coming to Christ as Savior and Lord. And he made this statement about the apostles in comparing them with military warfare historically. He said the annals of military warfare afford scarcely an example of the heroic constancy, patience, and unflinching courage. They, the apostles, had every possible motive to review carefully the ground of their fate and the evidences of the great facts and the truths that they asserted, end quote, and that they went on to die for. What Greenleaf was saying, when you look at the lives of the apostles, the persecution, the, the beatings, the deaths that they went through, and never once, not one of them, denied the truth of the resurrection of Christ. He said, in all the history of military warfare, there is nothing that compares to the bravery and the courage of the apostles. Their lives confirm that this is not only the word of God, it is true, it is accurate, and it is historically reliable. If I cannot trust the lives of the apostles and what they wrote and said, then I cannot trust anyone in history. This is the word of God, and I will stake my life on it. In the next session, I want to go a step further. I want to look at some evidences around the scriptures and some situations that confirm that the Bible is true.